The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get online and listen to Pastor Dave's message on Genesis chapter 16. There are four or five things that I've just kind of gone back to throughout the week. And one that keeps coming up in my mind over and over and over is this statement Dave made that detours and the disobedience don't have to be permanent roads. That's just a good word if you struggle like I struggle, that a detour into disobedience doesn't have to be a permanent road, that we are in Christ and so our sin doesn't define our life, Jesus does. Today we're going to look in Genesis 17 and we're going to talk about the marker of Abraham's life, what gives him his hope, his identity, his belonging, and his vocation. And Genesis 17 is this chapter... Um, that's 24 years into this faith journey we've been on over the last eight Sundays. And it's, it's the chapter where this covenant is sealed with circumcision. If you wondered how many times one chapter of the Bible could use the term circumcision, you're going to find out as we read Genesis 17. The good news is that your children's crafts are going to be amazing today. <laughs> I will tell you that. What are, what are the markers that define your life? Is it your status? Is it the job that you have? Is it your age? Is it your race? Is it your gender? Is it where you live? There are all kinds of markers that define who we are. I read an article this week in Vanity Fair on the power players of, of 2020 and who those will be in politics, in media, in innovation. And one thing they all had in common is they had a lot of power and a lot of money. There are even a couple of guys in there that are trying to make the most rockets and the biggest rockets and to launch the most satellites and they will no doubt seek to find their identity in this thing that we call from the scripture mammon. Well, where do you find, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your identity? See, in Genesis 17, I believe it's a really important text because in it, Abraham gets the answers to life's most important questions, and I think we can too, these questions of what can I believe in or who can I believe in? Who am I? Whose am I? And why am I here? So let's read the text together. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, that is El Shaddai, first time that appears in Scripture. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, that I may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And Abraham, that's in fact what it means, father of many nations. And God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Well, God, we thank you for this truth 
for us who have faith in Jesus and are now called the sons of Abraham that you are in fact our God as you are Abraham's God. We thank you for this truth and God, we thank you for your word and we pray as we look in it today, God, that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. As Genesis 17 begins, it's a really similar structure to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, when we begin this journey with Abram, who becomes Abraham, he tells him, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I'll show you, and then I will bless you, and I will make your name great. I'll make you a blessing. Anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the nations will be blessed, or all the families of the world will be blessed. Well, here he tells to Abram, he says, I'm God Almighty, therefore walk before me and be blameless. It's familiar language. It's a similar way that Noah's described in Genesis 9, and he says Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And so God says to Abram, walk with me, walk before me, and be blameless, and I am God Almighty. It's this God who's all-powerful. We heard in Genesis 16 to Hagar, I'm the God who sees. He's not just the God who sees. He's the God who is all-powerful. And this is really, really important. In fact, he calls himself Almighty God the most times in the book of Job, the book of suffering. 31 times he says it, and it matters because what you believe about God is going to impact the way that you live. What does it mean that God is all-powerful? I was talking about this with a friend just the other day. And this friend was talking about a difficult situation that he's in, struggling in sin. And it just seems so, so difficult and so impossible to get to where he needs to be. But we were talking about this truth. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. We have a hard time wrapping our mind around what that means, but I want to help us think about it. I'm going to ask a friend to help me. Allie, will you help me? Allie, would you just wave? Yes, you. Thank, thanks for volunteering, Allie. I really appreciate that. So Allie's a friend of mine, and Laura's a good friend of ours, and Allie's a nurse. So she's a nurse, and she's making mad cash. So Allie, if I said to you, could I borrow, it's your first year nursing, could I borrow $10? Could, could I borrow 10 bucks, Allie? Yeah, you'd say yes to that, right? Right? Is that right? Is that a yes? Yeah. Nod big so everybody can see. Yeah, she's nodding big. All right. Allie, if I said, if I said, could I borrow $10 million, would, would that be more difficult? Well, you don't have $10 million, right? That doesn't come until you've been a nurse for about five years, from what I understand, right? But yeah, that would be hard because you lack a resource to give me $10 million, right? And don't like me enough to do that, Okay. But here's the thing, if, if we say to God, God, give us good weather today, or if we say to God, God, would you bring spiritual awakening to, oh, I don't know, Iran and Afghanistan, one of those is not more difficult for God than the other. In fact, if you're in Texas, it might seem like the weather's a little more difficult. <laughs> Listen, the fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran, and the second fastest growing church in the world is in Afghanistan. See, nothing is too difficult. He is God Almighty. So I don't know what you're asking the Lord for, or maybe like me, or there's some things you're asking for, and you just wonder, I don't know if he can do this, because I do that. I'll ask him, can, can God actually do that? Yet nothing, 
Nothing is too difficult for him. He's God Almighty. And that's what he tells Abraham. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. You can trust me. I have enough power to do what I say I'm going to do to accomplish my purpose. And so Abram does what you do when you're standing before God Almighty. The Bible says Abram fell on his face. Now over and over and over in Genesis, we hear of Abram building an altar. There's no altar here, but there's worship because he just falls on his face before the Lord. God reminds Abram who he is. He reminds him what he's given him and what he will give him. And he reminds him here as we read through the text who he's making him to be. This is really important because Christianity is different than any other religion. In other religions, people seek to worship their little gods so that. So literally, our, our Hindu friends will go, and it's the saddest thing in the world. They'll go before an idol who has eyes but can't see, and ears but can't hear, and a mouth but can't speak, and hands but can't act. And they will bring these acts of worship and sacrifice to this God so that they might get blessing. And it's empty, it's helpless, it's hopeless. Our Muslim neighbors will seek to do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad that they've done. But if we examine our hearts and we're intellectually honest, we know that the evil in us will never be overcome by our own righteousness. We need help from outside and see Christianity is different and that we don't worship so that God will bless. We worship because of We worship him because of what he's done and will do. We worship him because of who he is. He is God Almighty. He's God Almighty. So this God who sees and this God who knows is the one that we've got to come to if we're going to get really strong and solid answers to these questions. What can I believe in? Who am I? Whose am I? And why am I here? He gives us hope. It answers the question, is there something or someone I can believe in because he is the Lord Almighty. And he goes on through this chapter just to explain to Abram how he might hope in him. In verse one, he says, I'm God Almighty. In verse two, he says, I will multiply you greatly. In verse four, he says, my covenant will be with you and with your offspring after you. In verse five, he says, you've got a new name, Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. In verse seven, he says, my My covenant will not just be with you, but with your offspring. It will be an everlasting covenant. In verse 8, he says, I'm going to give you and your offspring this land I promised. And then this promise that Abraham will be the father of many nations, it's been broad and ambiguous, and it's narrowing and narrowing. In chapter 15, Abraham says, no, I'm not going to be the father. My heir will be a member of my household. I'm really, I'm too old. I'm not going to see the child of promise. And then he and Sarah, they devise this plan. And so Sarah's maid, her servant, is going to give them a son. And that will be, they think, the child of promise because surely God can't give them a child when he's 99 and she's 90. But God, in verse 19, says, no, Sarah's name is, Sarah's name is going to be Sarah. There will be a child. He'll be born this next year. His name will be Isaac. I'm God Almighty. I have promised this. Here's how it's going to be accomplished, and I'm going to do it. So he gives Abram hope. He gives him hope. Abram has hoped in his cunning when he went down to Egypt and thought that he could tell the Egyptians that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. They've they've hoped in their own plans when they've devised this plan for Hagar to bring about a son. 
And God says, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. See, Abram has everything except that which matters, an heir. And God gives him hope. He gives him hope. He gives him hope that his descendants will be numerous as the stars in the sky because that's what God has said he's going to do. And then he gives him identity. He says, your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of many nations. I've made you the father of many nations. See, names in the ancient Near East really mattered. They mattered like they matter today in Rwanda. Our dear friend, Jean-Baptiste, his last name is a different last name than his father's last name. And it's given to him based on who his parents hoped he would be. So his last name is Hakizimana, which means gift of God or praise to God, provision from God. Our brother Celestin, his last name is Musakura. Musakura means the laughter of our enemies will be given to us. We're going to steal our enemies' laughter. Celestin and, and Bernadette, their daughter Providence, her last name is Uimana. It's in awe of God or worship toward God. See, their names, their names matter. Their names matter. At, at my house, at my house a couple of years ago, we were having trouble with some little boys respecting their mom. And so I said, hey, mom's the queen of this house. You're not going to treat her that way because you don't treat a queen like that. And Maddie, as she was going off to college, thought it'd be a great idea to say, yeah, you guys call her queenie. Well, my wife hates that. (laughs) She just hates that. But my boys are starting to like it. And I think it's kind of funny, to be honest. See, names matter. And so to Abraham, I hope you can get a picture of this because it's so different than in our culture. My parents named me Chase because they had two they liked and couldn't pick one. And so I think they flipped a coin and just got Chase. See, Abraham, he says, you'll be called Abraham because you are the father of many nations. So every day, Abraham is reminded of the identity that God has given him. So when Abraham, when he wakes up and he walks outside, he sees all his cattle and all his sheep and he sees the shepherd that's over them. He looks over at him and when he says, hey, Abraham, good morning, it's literally, he's saying, hey, father of many nations, good morning. He comes inside having his second cup of coffee with Sarah. They get their breakfast, this bacon, pancakes, sausage. Well, maybe not bacon, right? (laughs) Sarah says, oh, good morning, father of many nations. And he looks at her and says, oh, good morning, princess. That's what Sarah means. He goes outside to pick up his newspaper and one of his friends is running by looking at their Apple Watch, talking to him. Oh, hey, there's Father of Many Nations. Good to see you. And see, over and over, literally for the next 76 years, after he sees this child born, every time he hears his name, he's going to be reminded who God has made him to be. See, identity is so, so important. And us understanding our identity in Christ is one of the things that is so important for us and that we often fail to understand. Dave Tate, another thing he said last week was that misplaced identity leads to disordered worship. We worship all kinds of things. Some of our pastors and some folks from TBC were traveling somewhere with a really wealthy person and he was telling them the story of one of the wealthiest men in America had just said to him, you know what? held up his phone and he said, I've got a Learjet and I've got seven houses and I would give it all up. I'd give it all up if I could just keep this. And somebody quipped back, I'd, I'd give him my phone for just one of those houses, right? <laughs> Let's see, we, 
We seek to build an identity sometimes on this thing. There's so much that it can do. It's, it's attached to us. It's attached to us. See, what we need to do is guard ourselves against building our identity on who we are and what we can do apart from Christ and rather build it in Christ. And we, we all do this. We tend to do this through what we can do and what we can accomplish. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, one of my sons scored a soccer goal and I caught myself doing this. He's, he's four, but he plays up to U6, which means he's really good at soccer. <laughs> or it might mean we just wanted to do one practice and so we put him on the team with his brother. But he's going along and scores this just amazing goal. He's running towards the goal. Somebody kicks the ball about two feet in front of the goal. Nobody's around him. And he goes up and just nails that ball. And it goes in. And he's basically going to be the next international soccer star. <laughs> so I just went around telling people about this goal and how great this goal was. And Laura's like, you're really excited about this goal. I was like, that's my boy. He gets his athletic ability from me. <laughs> and she goes, he's, he's adopted. <laughs> so, I don't know. I guess she didn't think so. But listen, in a variety of ways, in a variety of ways, we seek to build our identity around what we've accomplished. And Israel's going to do that. And ironically, they're going to do it through circumcision, which is a really strange thing to boast in. But listen, when we think about our identity as God's people, part of this multitude of nations, part of these descendants as numerous as stars in the sky through faith in Christ, here's what we're told, that we were dead in sin, but we've made, been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. We were in the domain of darkness, but now we've been delivered into the kingdom of the son he loves or the kingdom of light, so we should walk as light and the Lord. We're told in scripture that there was a debt that stood against us because of our sin that we couldn't get free from. It was too much to pay. But Jesus, through his blood, canceled the written code. He canceled the debt. It's paid in full. It's finished. Our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. We're told that we were children of wrath and now we're adopted into God's family, children of the king. We're told that we were not a people that we were without hope and without God in the world. And now we are the people of God. Abraham is going to be marked by circumcision as a sign of the covenant. We are marked by our belief, chosen by the Father, redeemed by Jesus, sealed by the Spirit, guaranteed an inheritance among the people of God. We're the sons of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus. And we need to understand our identity is not wrapped up in how well we perform but it's wrapped up in the finished work of Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. It's who he has made us. Well, we don't just have hope and identity. We also have belonging. We have belonging. It's not just who we are, but who we belong to. We belong to God and his people. In Genesis 7 or 17 verse 6, after he renames Abraham, he says, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Almighty God, El Shaddai, the God most powerful, is saying to this man, to you and those coming after you, you're going to belong to me. 
Later on, he'll tell this people, you're my treasured possession. I've made you into a kingdom of priests, a chosen nation, so that you may declare my praise. He's calling them in the fellowship with him and he's saying, you've got a place of belonging with me and he's telling them what to do. We need to hear this. We need to understand this declaration and this proclamation, I will be their God. Sometimes we treat a relationship with God, even in the language we use, like, like Jesus when, when we're coming to him, that he's actually coming to us on a job interview. When it's actually a declaration, the gospel is that Jesus, Israel's Messiah and God's son, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us and he died for our sins according to scripture and he rose from the dead on the third day according to scripture after being buried and he gives life to all who believe. That's a declaration. We don't come to Jesus and and go, I have a few questions. Are, are, you, are you pretty good at saving people? Do you have experience in that? How, how are you at forgiveness? Because I'm not always great with that. See, that's not what we do. The gospel is not merely an offer. It's a declaration, a proclamation of who Jesus is and what he is doing and all would do well to believe because his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming and we've got belonging as his people, the people of God. We've got hope in Christ. We've got identity in Christ. We've got belonging in Christ. And then we also, as Abram will have, we've got a vocation that he is to be fruitful and multiply, that nations are to be born through him and through his seed. You shall become nations. Kings shall come from you. You be fruitful and I will make of you. I will make of you nations. God says you have a responsibility as my people. And blessing from God comes with responsibility toward God. Salvation comes with vocation. When you're saved to become the people of God, then he wants you and me to become the people of God. And so circumcision is going to be the mark and the seal of this trust and the promise. It's going to be the sign. So in verse 9, God says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Be my people. Walk in this covenant. In verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male through your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from a foreigner who is not your offspring, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. It's in the flesh, even at eight days old, before you can do right or wrong, there's this flesh sacrifice, this sign and symbol of covenant in blood. And then it says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised, verse 14, he shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God takes this covenant seriously and circumcision is the mark or the sign of the covenant so much so that if someone is not circumcised they will be cut off from this people as numerous as the stars in the sky 
Now, here's what's amazing to me about this. God's instructions couldn't be any more clear, and his provision couldn't be any more abundant, but these people over and over and over are going to struggle to keep the commands of God. Turn to Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 with me. They're going to struggle to keep the commands of God, and they're even going to boast in circumcision, this sign, instead of boasting in their God. It's to be the mark of their belief, not the sign in which they boast. And what will happen over and over and over is that the people will hear a word from God and begin to walk in it, but then they'll disobey, they'll sin. And as they sin, they'll walk into oppression. Other nations will come around them and will oppress them because of their sin. And in that oppression, they'll they'll repent. They'll cry out to God in repentance and they'll be delivered. And then when they're delivered, they'll enjoy a time of freedom and peace. But then guess what? Again, they're gonna sin and they're gonna sin again and they're gonna be oppressed again. And then they're gonna be delivered as they repent. And then they'll walk in peace and it'll happen over and over and over because they're missing what God wants to do. The circumcision is the sign of the covenant, not the thing to which they're to boast. And it's a sign that's to point them to relationship with God. Now Deuteronomy helps us to see this. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Moses is in the middle of this sermon before Israel is to enter into the promised land. And he says, fear the Lord, be in relationship with this God. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. He's almighty God. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers. That's Abraham and his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. That's you, Israel. Above all peoples as you are this day. Well, what does that have to do with circumcision? I'm glad you asked. Verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. See, this is not about the flesh. The flesh is a sign and a symbol. But circumcise your heart. Get rid of the flesh so that your heart may be pure before the Lord. Why? Verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. You do this because the God you serve is almighty and he's righteous. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing So love the sojourner because you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, serve him and hold fast. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. He's reminding them. Your fathers went down to Egypt as 70 persons. So that's Abraham's son Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons and 70 of them go to Egypt. But then listen. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. See, God's promise to Abram has come true, but there's vocation. Circumcise your heart. And what do a people circumcised in heart do? They care for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner. As I read this, I just stopped to praise God Wednesday afternoon because Wednesday at lunch, 
Danny Cunningham and I could hear some kind of loud, crazy, wild party going on in one of the rooms in Creekside. And we walk over and it's our new song, Widow's Group. Suzanne Steves are in there. She's in there with them. Amy Jimenez is in there with them. And we thought we were going to have to call the fire marshal to calm things down. (laughs) See, I looked and I saw here are these ladies in in a moment where many would be sad and they're smiling and rejoicing and loving one another because they're part of the people of God. They've got a place of belonging and widows are being cared for. I got a reminder on my phone this week that this next week we'll send funds over. We partner with our sister church in Basse and we give some funds through God's provision and generosity and, and your generosity. We give funds to our sister church in Basse and there are 23 school kids in the sister church in Basse. They'll give some of their own funds and these vulnerable children, they'll get food, they'll get school uniforms, they'll get books, their school fees will be paid. Because God's people, circumcised in heart, care for the widow and the orphan. Our sister church in Ukraine will care for 60 or 70 families that are in vulnerable situations at Christmas time. And we'll be able to partner with them in that. And then here locally, each week, if you don't follow Foster Love Bell County on Facebook, one of our ministry partners that our own Candace Cartwright started, you need to follow them and see the good work they're doing. Just a couple of weeks ago, I saw a TBC small group working there one evening as they care for vulnerable vulnerable children here in our city. And then every week I hear from Brandon Brewer, our global outreach pastor, or one of our college students and young adults who are reaching out to internationals and sharing the gospel with them. As I do that, I think, man, there's so much that we can continue to do and grow in. And at the same time, here are a people whose hearts are circumcised who are embracing their vocation. They're walking really in the reality of who we are as the people of God with hope and identity and belonging and embracing our vocation as we seek in a variety of ways to make disciples of the nations. You see, we're part of the new covenant and we're part of new creation. And so we in Christ have identity and hope and belonging and vocation. See, that's not the story of Israel though. Israel, they are the people of God, but they often fail to walk. Even as God tells this to Abraham, Abraham says, God, no, 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 just make Ishmael the child. He's 13 years old. He's already here. Sarah's 90 years old. I'm 99. As Hebrews would say, we are as good as dead. A new baby ain't happening, God. Come on. See, God says, no, there will be a child born. His name will be Isaac, which means he laughs, and he will be the child I'll make my covenant with, and God does. God's found true, and every man a liar, and over and over and over in the life of Israel, as God tells them what will happen, they trust, but then they turn away. See, when Abraham, what's about to happen in this story is he and his 13-year-old son Ishmael and all the people in their family go out to be circumcised, all the men in their family, there's a radical nature of this belief. But then they stumble into sin and oppression and then repentance and deliverance over and over and over. But see, then, then they take the sign of circumcision and they make it their boast. That's really an odd thing to boast in when you stop and think about it. You're eight days old, something happens to you, you're not aware of it, and if you were, you'd try to stop it. And you're going to make that your boast. I am one of the circumcised. 
What a silly thing to boast in. Well, what's your boast in? What's this thing that you cling to for hope, identity, belonging, status? See, Israel does it over and over and over except for this one. This one offspring of Abraham who will come 2,000 years later and he never, you read the Gospels, he never boasts in his circumcision. Though we're told he was circumcised at eight days old. His name is Jesus. And he lives the law perfectly. And he dies for sin and he raises from the dead. And he helps us understand what this all means. Galatians chapter five, would you turn over there with me? See, even after Christ rose from the dead, the Jews who were trying to follow Jesus, many of them were still boasting in their circumcision, so much so that a group of them come together with Gentile Christians in Antioch and they won't even eat with them. They won't even sit down at the table with them because they're not Jews. And Paul opposes the apostle Peter to his face. Then he says to Peter at the end of the Galatians 2, He says to the Galatians, rather, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not by faith in my Jewishness, not by me keeping the law good enough and performing good enough. But by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul's got a new identity because that's what Jesus gives. And so in Galatians chapter 5, when he's eventually going to speak about the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5 verse 6, he says this, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, but faith working itself through love. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, that's why... The widow and the orphan, the sojourner are cared for. That's why we have compassion for our neighbor that overwhelms our fear so that we will tell them the good news of Jesus and help them to know the love of Christ that we've come to know by his grace. Because faith working itself through love, and that's what faith does. Faith isn't still, it works, and it works through love. It counts for something. It matters because God has made us new into a people who declare his praise. In Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Far be it for me to boast in anything. Paul was a Pharisee, the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He was zealous for the law. But he says, far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Well, what does that have to do with circumcision? Everything. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. See, God makes Abram into Abraham a new creation. And if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation and the old things have gone away and behold, new things have come. We've got a new hope, 
Our hope is in Christ alone, in the work of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. Our identity is that we were children of wrath and now we're children of the King. Our belonging is that we are the people of God, so we love one another, care for one another, bear with one another, serve one another. We're surrendered to Jesus and we're in community and then we've got a vocation. We're on mission together. See, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your hope? I wanna ask you to do something with me. If you got a smartphone, I'd like you to take it out, please. We're worried about your identity, so we're gonna take all your smartphones today. That's not what's gonna happen, actually. Take your smartphone out, and if you will, if you'll just flip it up and, and open the camera and point the camera where it's facing toward you. Would you just do that? Now, listen, let me give you some tips here, okay? Don't put it down here like this, because then all your chins are gonna show, right? You got a beard, you're okay, but if you don't, you won't look really good in your picture, right? You want to get it up like this, because then you look about 10 or 15 pounds less than you really are, right? Make sure everything looks good. Here's what I want to ask you. The first thing I want to ask you is when you look at this, I'm going to go ahead and take a picture of us, okay? We'll just do that right there. Do you like like what you see? Do you like what you see? Let me just tell you something. God Almighty absolutely loves what he sees because he looks at you and looks at me through Christ. Do you like what you see? See, God loves what he sees. And I hope you understand your identity in Christ. Then the second thing I want to ask you, because we do some funny things with this, we'll get the angle just right, we'll get the background just right, we're going to make sure everybody sees our 15 minutes kind of match their 15 minutes, or, or maybe even better. And it's so odd what we do. I, I, I put this thing on that shows me how much screen time I, I spend on social media, and it was a little bit embarrassing. I'll just tell you, because we're running out of time, it's more than five minutes daily. <laughs> See, we get wrapped up and become enslaved to these things that deceive us. And are you gonna, are you gonna find your identity or is your life gonna be marked by something Steve Jobs lived to get you to buy? Or is your life gonna be marked, is your identity gonna be marked in what Jesus died so that you could freely receive? Hope, identity, belonging, and vocation last into new creation and in fact is a sign of new creation in this broken world let's pray God we thank you father for this truth that for those who belong to Jesus we've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires and so God help us be people in a world that is broken who are full of hope in Jesus. God, to help us not to be deceived and to find our identity in how well we perform or what status we have in any particular area of society. Help us not to labor for belonging so much so that we would give ourselves away for things that don't matter. When we 
are part of the people of God. And Lord, help our vocation. Help us labor and strive by your grace with all our might for your glory to be known and your saving power to be known in our city and among the nations. God, I pray, Father, that this month people will come to know Christ in Temple, Texas because TBC exists, because your people are being your people. In hope and identity and belonging and in vocation, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, and you're dismissed.